give me a drink. How long are you going to go on like this? I have to make a phone call, and I know it's going to be bad. Okay? Oh. Do you want to be alone? The Suitcase is an episode of Mad Men that fully encapsulates the complexities of Don and Peggy's relationship to one another, and its emotional context starts with a pitch for Samsonite gone wrong. So, where are we on Samsonite? We'll have something to show you in the morning. But the suspense is killing me. Well, I kind of was on my way out. Let me just see where we are. I guess I've got a minute. And so the backdrop is set. A fight between heavyweights, a looming deadline for Samsonite, an overbearing boss who expects your all. To work within the walls of Sterling Cooper Draper Price is to put the prospect of having a social life secondary to the work you do for the company. It's Peggy's birthday today, and instead of schmoozing over dinner with a boyfriend who scarcely knows the subtleties of ad woman work and creative pursuits, she stressed out of her mind over a pitch for Samsonite, a pitch to Don attempting to appease the stoic figure central to her success, who will criticize and critique her every word. Excuse me? Much of Don and Peggy's relationship is defined by this concept of underappreciation, born of Don's misgivings when it comes to being in tune with his emotions. Don made his bones in the ad game by remaining emotionally detached to his work and people in general, maintaining his status as boss in the process to go along with the air of mystique regarding his origin story. In the pitch room, he can conjure up the pathos-induced ruse for a moment, able to stir the hearts of companies and churn the wheels of profit. But in the outside world of day-to-day work and managing a team, Don isn't so concerned with the inherent vulnerability that comes with making perpetual appeals to the heart, with truly relating to his subordinates and their individual lives in any meaningful way. Outside, you're left with a man who doesn't care much for the sentimentality of birthdays or the origin of good ideas, or showcasing internal feelings of vulnerability to almost anyone. It's the character trait he despises seeing in others around him. And in short order, we see that Don isn't devoid of this vulnerability entirely, but instead chooses to hide from it, allowing his internal baggage to remain shrouded for as long as humanly possible. And the cracking of the facade that takes place in this episode begins with a phone call from California. I got a call while you were in the toilet to the direct line. Stephanie from California, no last name. She says it's urgent. Would you like me to place the call? No, I've got it. This returned phone call left unanswered looms over Dawn in the entire episode, as if always ringing faintly in the background. And we know all too well that the information it promises to reveal would internally crush Don, forcing him to accept the lived reality of a situation and experience the deeply human response to that of personal tragedy. Don rejects this entirely, throwing himself deeper into his work whilst motivated by the aspects of his life that he can control, the people who work for him. It's in this onslaught, this overcompensation by Don in response to that lack of control that oftentimes the people who work for him get caught in the crossfire. Peggy is used to taking the brunt of the damage, but who is she? Some former secretary, some lady underling, some thorn in Don's side, 
a woman not worthy of his respect? Well, she's the one woman, the only woman who has entered Don's visceral, gravitational pull, whom he's yet to have sex with. It's how Don perceives nearly all of his relationships to women in regards to intimacy, an underlying truth that so often goes unspoken between the two of them. And it's this striving force of his egocentric misogyny that inhibits him from truly recognizing both her contributions to the agency and the acknowledgement from Don that she expects to come with it. Acknowledgement that goes deeper than simply dollars. You could have just told me it was your birthday. Right, and there'd be no repercussions. So now this is my fault? Well, it's not my fault. You don't have a family or friends or anywhere else to go. Go. Go run to him, like in the movies. You don't have to be here. I do have to be here because of some stupid idea from Danny, who you had to hire because you stole his other stupid idea because you were drunk. Don't get personal because you didn't do your work. And by the way, I know it kills you, but guess what? There is no Danny's idea. Everything that comes in here belongs to the agency. You mean you? As long as you still work here. Is that a threat? Because I've already taken somebody up on one of those tonight. Relax. You know what? Here's a blank piece of paper. Why don't you turn that into glow coat? Are you out of your mind? You gave me 20 ideas, and I picked out one of them that was a colonel that became that commercial. So you remember? I do. It was something about a cowboy. Congratulations. No, it was something about a kid locked in a closet because his mother was making him wait for the floor to dry, which is basically the whole commercial. It's a colonel. Which you changed just enough so that it was yours. I changed it into a commercial. What, are we going to shoot him in the dark in the closet? That's the way it works. There are no credits on commercials. Then you got the Clio. It's your job. I give you money, you give me ideas. Then you never say thank you. That's what the money is for. You're young. You will get your recognition. And honestly, it is absolutely ridiculous to be two years into your career and counting your ideas. Everything to you is an opportunity. And you should be thanking me every morning when you wake up, along with Jesus, for giving you another day. Come on. I'm sorry about your boyfriend, okay? The sobering moment precedes the slow breaking of the seams, one that can truly only come when the party responsible is at least partially inebriated. In other words, Don proceeds to get drunk. But this moment serves not only as the turning point of the episode, but also the turning point of the series. Reinforced by the charged narrative in which emotion is laid bare, Don's relationship to Peggy is entirely clerical. In his mind, she lives entirely to serve him. He uses her as an idea factory, never regarded on the award show stages of Cleo's and receiving industry recognition, but painfully necessary to him and the company all the same. A dynamic that speaks volumes to worker-boss relationships at SCDP, or pretty much anywhere else for that matter, 60s or present. Approval is something the worker strives for above all else, and Peggy is no exception. Her want for Don's approval specifically is both heartbreaking and surreal because of how much of her internal intrinsic value and conception of self-worth is defined by his passing of judgment. Not just because they aid in adding purpose to her work or affirming that there's some baseline value present in it, but because for her contributions to be seen as truly valuable to a man like Don is to erase the snickering and sneering of onlookers and outsiders who view any modicum of success she or any woman achieves in life as being born out of something other than sheer ability or talent, with so many around her still holding on to the lie 
that she slept with Don to get the job in the first place. I hate dating. Terrible at it. You'll find someone. You know you're cute as hell. Men don't exactly stop and stare in the streets. Do you want that? It's not what you were supposed to say. What do you care what I think? Everybody thinks I slept with you to get the job. They joke about it. Like it's so funny because the possibility was so remote. It's not because you aren't attractive. I have to keep rules about work. I have to. You're an attractive girl, Peggy. Not as attractive as some of your other secretaries, I guess. You don't want to start giving me morality lessons, do you? People do things, right? My mother thinks you were responsible because you were the only person who visited me in the hospital. Jesus, really? She hates you. Do you know who it was? Of course I do. You think about it? I try not to. But then it comes up out of nowhere. Playgrounds. It's in these afterglow moments, these sequences after tender emotions are laid bare, that Don and Peggy finally begin to commiserate with one another, if only for a moment, both imbued with a newfound conviction that is Samsonite Strong. It's a funny thing, this Samsonite Strong. In reality, it's a buzzword, an ad campaign, a phrase that sells a dream. Samsonite Strong is a perspective that doesn't need to match that which is advertised. The strength to survive a throw off the Eiffel Tower or last 60 seconds in the ring with Cassius Clay it just needs to appear as such. This frame of mind comments on the artifice of it all, of maintaining appearances, of hiding the vulnerable parts of ourselves that give way to pain that is all-encompassing and eternally unescapable. Pain that Dawn has been harboring the whole episode, the telephone ringing faintly in the background. Pain that festers from an avoidance of reality that is deeply sorrowful and whose emotional content is deeply palpable. Pain from a phone call he finally must answer. Hello? What Mad Men reveals is that leading a life defined by selling dreams and hopes and lies outwardly reflects deeply on the lies we tell ourselves inwardly, in a concerted effort to avoid feeling the human pain born of our emotions. At the end of a long night of revelation and reflection, Don is simply able to slick back his hair, put on a clean shirt, and lie again, to himself and others around him, shrouding his remaining vulnerability from the small corner of the world that he's still in control of. It's a powerful facade, one we're all too familiar with, but the comfort that might come from removing oneself from their emotional turmoil is fleeting. Eventually, the phone will ring, on and on like hypnotic music vibrating in the background of our ever-complicated lives. And it takes someone with more than a keen ear and emotional intelligence in spades to pick it up 
and answer. Mind Theater is a solo effort produced and written by me, Ao Akingbare. For updates on the show, as well as my other content, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want to show monetary support, the Ko-fi link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.